sponsored by Amazon. How's it going? I'm Playbook Editor Mike DeBonis. Happy Monday. Just something a little different today. I'm joined by Zach Stanton, Deputy Editor for Playbook for today's Playbook Daily Briefing. Hey, how's it going? Over the weekend, we got our first glimpse of one of the most anticipated political books of the year, Maggie Haberman's new book, Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America. Um, It was excerpted uh, generously in The Atlantic, where Maggie drew from her several interviews with Donald Trump. And Zach, I'm just curious, what what really struck you about uh, that piece? It really, I will start out by saying it really dominated uh, the top of Sunday's playbook for good reason, because there was just so much sort of jam-packed into it. And I just wonder what you found (laughs) to be the most uh, telling uh, and uh, notable tidbit. For sure. Well, in some ways, it was kind of a throwback to the Trump era when uh, you had a certain unpredictability about what he was going to say and who he was going to say it about. Uh, And these little sound bites that he would make would become news and sort of dominate Twitter and in turn dominate news cycles. And so you had such a weird mix of these odd little moments of him talking about different Republican leaders, whether it was Mitch McConnell or Mike Pence, you know, one of the moments that I remember is, you know, he's recalling talking to Pence ahead of January 6th and telling Pence that, you know, you have a chance to either be Thomas Jefferson or you can be Mike Pence. Um, and he chose to be Mike Pence. Um, and, you know, he has similar choice words for people like, you know, again, Mitch McConnell, even sort of tepidly for Jared Kushner. Mm-hmm. But I think the things that jumped out to me the most were actually the moments of surprising self-reflection. Uh, yeah, there's there's part where he's talking basically about his whole modus operandi, uh, where he talks about, you know, this question that he's been asked again and again was, you know, if you had to do it again, if you had to run for president again, would you have done it knowing everything that happened to him afterwards? And he says that you know, the answer is, yeah, I think so, because I have so many rich friends and nobody knows who they are. And, you know, Maggie Haberman notes that you know he's reflecting on what it means to have been president and his first impulse isn't to mention public service or accomplishments or or anything of that sort but instead just simply seeing it sort of as a vehicle for fame right it's an observation that you know in the end rich guys are a dime a dozen but uh yeah. rich guys who are president are in somewhat more <laughs> rarefied air in in history and you know say say what you will about Donald Trump he has uh, guaranteed his place uh in American history uh and totally you're you're right uh, th- to me it was the same thing it's what he you know for somebody who's just constantly um picking fights constantly telling everybody what's on his mind constantly just having to be at the center of attention he does have this incredible capacity for you know as the kids say telling on himself um, <laughs> uh and and he he certainly does it and there's something about, and you know credit to maggie haberman there's something about maggie that that he responds to it's that you know her under i think it's his understanding that she comes out of this new york tabloid um environment she understand and she understands him in from that in that milieu, and I think that he kind of um, respects and appreciates that in a way that he would never actually say out loud. But um, he kind of does. Well, where he, he says, he, yeah, he says, "Yeah, exactly." He says, he "I does. love." He says, "I love being with her. She's like my psychiatrist." Right. Um, and, you know, you know, Maggie takes a lot of uh, grief on the left from people who think that uh, 
she's like this you know court stenographer for trump but uh, i could not you know see it more differently i think she's just um she's just been an incredible you know not only a tireless reporter but somebody who really gets this guy and understands what makes him tip, tick and has explained more about how he uh, operates than anybody else um, I can think of. Moving past Trump and on to the 2022 election, you know, the big story at Politico this morning is about polling and whether or not we can actually trust polling this year. The polling looks pretty decent, surprisingly good for Democrats, uh, but we've kind of seen that story before and we've heard a lot of hand-wringing from pollsters, both after 2016, when polls missed pretty big, and in 2020, when they also had similarly sized misses, um, well, maybe not quite to the degree of 2016, but uh, there was a big delta between what the polls said and what the results were in many states. So, you know, what is your read here? You know, what should we be thinking about when we read the polls here, you know, six weeks out from election day? So what I thought was interesting about Steve's piece is that he he spent a lot of time talking to pollsters and trying to figure out how they're looking at it. And, you know, they obviously recognize this problem. They understand the miss, not only the, the you know, the big miss that happened in 2016, but the almost as big miss that happened in 2020. But there's this complicating factor, which is that 2018 was not a miss. And there's this perception that there is one set of rules for when Donald Trump is on the ballot and there's a different set of rules when he's not on the ballot, that Donald Trump somehow brings out some subset of voters that aren't responding to polls, can't be sort of um, gotten to by uh, traditional polling methods. And so there's this sort of debate right now about are we looking at another 2018? It's a midterm year. Donald Trump is not on the ballot. Or is it more like 2020, given that Donald Trump is definitely a character in our, our political environment right now? He is almost as, I'm not going to say as ubiquitous as he was while he was president, but he, you know, he, he's, you know, he's at the top of playbook almost every day, <laughs> <laughs> to put it, um, you know, in, in, in our terms. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I thought Steve Peace, Steve's piece really got uh, to the heart of this debate over what kind of election are we having here, a standard midterm or a, a Donald Trump election where, you know, you have to throw out the rules. Totally. And and on that note, actually, when we're comparing it to past midterms, you know, there was this new uh, Washington Post ABC poll that came out yesterday um, that found that two and three registered voters see this election as more important than past midterm campaigns which is actually about the same percentage of voters who said the same in 2018 um, when turnout last surged, uh, surged to its highest level at a midterm in, in a century, I think. Um, so it's obviously going to be one to watch, uh, but I don't think we quite know exactly how it'll play out just yet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the polls have been bouncing around. I think that I believe Nate Silver had a piece that for all the talk of a re Republican bounce back, it hasn't happened yet. That was before this poll came out. The other thing is, you know, this post poll had uh, Republicans up on the generic ballot, uh, while most other polls have had Democrats up. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, due to gerrymandering and other factors, you know, you know, Democrats don't just need to be up in the generic ballot. They need to be up by six, seven, eight points to have any expectation of keeping the majority. I, I think the picture that is emerging here is that, uh, you know, what we've seen over the last few weeks that, you know, at least on the House side, 
uh, Republicans still look like they have an advantage, like they're headed to the majority. It just might be a very tight majority and there might be a lot of drama that comes along with that. For sure. But before we even get there, you know, we have a couple things to watch for on the Hill this week, um, which I'll kick to you as a, a creature of the Hill in some ways, someone who knows yes. it inside and out. You know, we're there are, there's a possibility of a government shutdown. You know, there's a deadline for a bill uh, on a continuing resolution later this week. Um, how likely do you think that is? Well, you know, I, I think it's unlikely. I, you know, I, but there are some sort of wild cards in here that could, you know, make this a, a bit of a, a skin of our teeth affair. You know, there's uh, a couple moving pieces. One is uh, you create additional Ukraine funding that the, the administration has requested. Uh, there is some, you know, decent bipartisan consensus on that, but I, I don't think that that's actually been decided yet. Biden administration wants more COVID money, which they've wanted since earlier this year. Um, that is still a bone of contention. Um, and then the biggest piece, which uh, our Eugene Daniels wrote about uh, the other day, is this Joe Manchin permitting deal. Uh, basically, this is legislation that make it easier to get uh, environmental and other sorts of permits for big energy projects. And it could be anything from these, you know, this natural gas pipeline in West Virginia that uh, he, he, you know, very personally has uh, an interest in seeing completed. But it also would apply to, you know, power line transmission, clean energy product projects, solar, all sorts of different things that that would be good uh, in the clean energy sphere. So there's a split among Democrats and there's a split among Republicans. And that's what makes it really interesting. You know, among Republicans, I think most Republicans like the policy. I think that a lot of them have talked about making it easier to get permits for for energy projects. Uh, the split is over whether you want to reward Joe Manchin, who most of them can't stand <laughs> for various reasons. And compounding that is the fact that this is part of this sort of deal that allowed the the big reconciliation bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, to pass. So there's a lot of Republicans who just aren't interested in, you know, being part of consummating this deal. On the Democratic side, it's a really interesting split between sort of old old line uh, liberal environmental um, types, in this case, led by Bernie Sanders and Jeff Merkley and a few others, um, and, uh, you know, Roel Grijalva in the House. And they basically say, you know, this is a deal with the devil. This would build more fossil fuel pipelines. It's it's a bad deal. Um, there's a newer generation of sort of climate activists who are saying, actually, this is good for uh, climate. It's going to allow more uh, clean energy projects to move forward. A lot of the grid improvement projects that are needed to make clean energy work um, that is that is part of this. So this is all in flux. Um, I think the closer you get to the deadline, the less likely it will be that this actually ends up getting included. There's a chance it could sort of get kicked to the lame duck after the election. But, um, you know, it's definitely something to watch as this, this week grinds on on the Hill. Yeah. And the, the House has scheduled its final votes for this Friday, its final votes before the election. So we're coming up on, on a pretty tight deadline yeah. here. Yeah, the, the Senate's going to stick around, but the House is out. So this is I think they're they're very eager to get uh, get this done and get it. I think both parties are eager to get out on the road uh, as soon as possible. Well, one name you mentioned um, that I will just leave listeners with here is Brian Schatz. Um, and there was a bit of uh, Twitter back and forth that we paid attention to on Sunday when Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, Democrat, uh, gentleman who has uh, famously shaved head, um, challenged Brian Schatz 
to shave his head if he, Booker, was able to get, I think, 500 new uh, donations to the Democratic Senate candidate in North Carolina. Uh, and Brian Schatz agreed, uh, seemed to at least <laughs> on Twitter. We'll see if Twitter is actually a binding contract, but <laughs> he, he he seemed to agree uh, to these terms and uh, may be headed to uh, getting his head shaved. Do you think that this is actually likely going to happen? Yeah, it, um, you know, he put it on Twitter. I mean, he if he's a man of his word, <laughs> I think that the, the odds are pretty good. I think he kind of sold out cheap. I mean, he only... I think Booker only wanted what five hundred donations, or was it yes. fifty? Five hundred. I mean, that's five hundred in the yeah. world of small dollar fundraising. That's really not that much. So, um, I think uh, chances are Brian Schatz uh, might be uh, might be getting the razor out. But uh, to me, the funniest part was that he tried. Yeah, Booker tries to get Chris Murphy to get in on this too, and Murphy's like, "No way, dude. <laughs> Sorry." And, and Chris Murphy, we should say, has this like beautiful head of network TV anchor hair. Not that Brian Schatz's hair is, is, is anything to anything he shouldn't be proud of. But when he said that, I'm like, I don't know that Chris Murphy is going to go along with this. <laughs> well, I, I think we'll leave it there for now. Uh, but looking forward to getting into the week here. All right, Zach, it's going to be a big week. All employees should have the opportunity and tools to grow their careers, regardless of where they start. That's why Amazon offers nine different programs designed to help employees advance their careers and move into higher paying roles within Amazon. Learn more at aboutamazon.com.